share with you until 8.55 about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. Hey. Thank you. My name is John. I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, John. It's good to be here. I want to thank Lorraine for asking me to speak. I'm going to send around some pictures so you guys can see that I earned my seat here. Um, in addition to the my pictures, there's two other pictures of uh, that there. Uh, one of a guy named Dan and another guy named Jim. And they were both sponsees of mine I've had over the years. And they're dead. They're dead as a direct result of this disease. And the only reason I like to mention that is that this is a serious disease. It's not just another diet program or anything like that. And it's just important to mention once in a while. Um, let me give you some qualifications. Um, I have been coming to OA uh, since I got sober, which is about, uh, about 24 and a half years ago. Uh, I am abstinent about almost nine years. Uh, I wish I could say I'm abstinent the whole way, but it's not part of my story, and I'll go into that in a minute. I'm maintaining about 105-pound weight loss, and um, uh, this is very much an important part of my life. Um, it's an interest. I'm not going to talk too much about the food tonight because you've all heard everybody tell you how you know at, you know all the stories, and I'm not spectacular in in un, spectacularly unique in any of that. I did all the stuff. I ate the frozen stuff that wasn't supposed to be eaten frozen. I went to the you know 7-Eleven and told the guy I'm going to more than one. Uh, you know I'm having a party. I went to different 7-Elevens so that they wouldn't know I was coming back. All the crazy stuff you've ever heard. Um, the bottom line was nothing in my life ever worked for my food and weight problem until I got to OA. Um, and when I say nothing didn't work, I should amend that to say everything worked. Everything worked once. Everything worked once, and then I got involved, and then everything didn't work again. And that's the main thing. And um, I want to take a moment, because like, like I mentioned, I'm, I'm in an AA for, for a while, and... Um, I don't think it's ever said enough in these rooms, these rooms, how difficult recovery from compulsive overeating is. Um, it, you know, we want to, you know, and, and I get jokes. Trust me, I go to AA meetings and I get jokes about the OA. Oh, yeah, you guys and your food problem. You know, what do we find you in a, in a gutter with a bag of Twinkies or, you know, <laughs> jokes like that. And, um, and you know what I tell them? I say, well, if you think it's easy sometime, change your sobriety. Make it one drink at breakfast, one drink of alcohol at lunch, and one drink of alcohol at dinner. See how long you hold on to that sobriety, and you'll get an idea of what we have to do in this room. And it's true. I mean, it's not that it's not that it's that way all the time, but when you're trying to get abstinent and you're having trouble, it, you have to realize we are addicted to a substance we have to take in our body. You know, we can't give it up. I, you know, I... Um, I was a stand-up comic for a good 15, 17 years and working in clubs every night around booths, okay? I had come, at the end of the show, you'd have guys come up and tell you really bad, long jokes, standing there, you know, with a drink under my nose, you know, you know and it, I didn't have the slightest urge to drink. But I've had abstinent meals where when I was done, I wanted to keep going. 
And that's why, in a lot of ways, this, this disease is so much harder. And yet society wants to minimize it on one hand. And the society plays such games on the other hand, you know. I, I was saying to somebody the other day, I'm, I don't have any children, but I, I can imagine what it must be like if I had a daughter. And she sits there and she, and she watches the commercials for the Betty Crocker and the, and the this food and the that food and the cheese and the, you know, the various things. And then they come out of the commercial back to the size zero actresses. And what those young girls must go through trying to figure out, how do I do what they tell me I'm supposed to do in the commercials and look like the people in, in not in the commercials? And, of course, you can't. You know, that's part of um, the insanity of, of this. And this, and this society accepts that. You don't see a lot of commercials to say, go, drink to excess, Sarah, do some crack. You know, you don't see those commercials. <laughs> but it is always talked about in, in other places. And then also we want to minimize it. Well, it's just food. It's just food. Well, it is just food. But for those of us who are addicted, it is a big problem. And it, it is and always will be for me. I, this was my first addiction. I had this very young. I'm the, I'm the adult child of two different alcoholics. And it was crazy growing up, and I learned to cope by having food. Food was my comfort. Food was my friend. Food and I had a wonderful relationship. It never talked back to me. It never told me what to do. It was everything to me. And every, every most, almost all the spare money I had went to buying food and feeling comfort. And as I, I got this from my parents in one way or another because... If you come from, from people who are addicted personalities, they won't say anything, but the kids watch what they see their parents do. My, par- my parents would say things like, I need a drink. I need a cigarette. I need something. And what is that telling the kid? If you don't like how you feel inside, there's something out there you can put in here that will make you feel better. And the, the concept that how I feel in here is really up to how I choose to deal with life and how I go through life and it, it, it really isn't contingent on a drink, a drug, a food, you know, a, you know, an action. It is totally foreign to the kind of upbringing I had. Uh, we also had no emotions in my house. We, we had emotions. We had like, anger, but that was about it. And we talked like crazy, but we'd talk about politics, and we would talk about baseball, but everything was on the surface. Nobody ever talked about how they felt about everything. And what you also get from growing up in a, in a house like that is, gee, if they don't talk about it, it must be bad. We better, emotions must not be good, you know? And it's so funny that... Today, I'll, you know, I'll, my home meeting is Serenity Sunday, and people get up to take candles, and they'll be crying. And, and as they're crying... They're saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I want to run up and grab them and go, no, don't apologize for having emotions. Don't apologize. That's what we're here for. You know, you know if you're stuffing emotions and eating, then apologize. But it's good. I mean, even now, I would rather feel a bad emotion than be numbed out. Because that's what I did for, you know, I don't know how many years, you know. Um, I was overweight all the way growing up, felt Totally different all the time. I was the overweight kid who compensated by being the little brainiac in school. You know, the one who screwed up the uh, the, the curve on everybody. And uh, and I was, but that was my way because I knew I felt different. I felt different. I didn't feel like anybody else. So I I decided I would take the the initiative. It's an interesting thing if you're an intelligent person. I, I always say the smarter you are, the more convoluted the head games have to get that you play with yourself. And my thing was, well, since I feel different already, I'm going to go make myself different because this way I'll convince myself that the reason I feel different is because I'm the one initiating it. When the reality is, 
I just felt like a little piece of shit inside, and the only thing I could possibly have any kind of threat of self-esteem was my brain. So all the way growing up and until I got sober, uh, if you met me, I was used words, you know, way long. I would correct your speech. I would... Um, I would just have to make sure you knew just how goddamn smart I was. It was it was a, the core of my essence because I just didn't like how I felt about me inside and physically. Um, I I went all the way through high school, and then I ended up in high school in Greenwich, Connecticut. And if any of you guys know anything about the East Coast, Greenwich, Connecticut is like Beverly Hills, except my father's a car salesman and we lived in one room apartment. So it's like like I don't feel bad enough already that I'm fat and and I don't feel like like any you know like anybody else. Uh, then all these other kids are driving around, and well, they didn't drive in Lexuses then because they didn't have them. But if they did, they, that's what they'd be driving. Um, so I felt even worse, and and I deliberately didn't touch alcohol all the way through high school because I knew I was a setup for alcoholism, and I didn't want to. Uh, but I was heavy all the way through high school. Didn't go to the prom. Didn't have any. Didn't date at all in high school. And um, um, finally, in the summer, and I and I all during that time, I was overweight. Always tried everything. With the Weight Watchers, when I was 13 years old, I was the only male in there, and I was the only one under 20, under probably 40. Um, I tried all these other crazy diets, and again, they worked for a while, and then they didn't again. And uh, so after high school, I did find alcohol uh, in the summer, the, the summer after high school. And because I met a girl who seemed to like me, and she said, come, you know, come to the bar and hang out. And uh, so I get to the bar, and I'm terrified, because I, I don't know if you guys remember Cheers, but Cliff Clavin, when he was around women, would just become this mess. Well, that's, that was me. And... Um, Alcohol all of a sudden took that away, and I could be calm, and I could, I, you know, all of a sudden I started liking how I felt, and it was a wonderful thing, and I fell in love with alcohol immediately. And the only reason I bring that in here is that it's part of my story, in that that was the first time in my life I was ever able to lose weight, because essentially I just changed how I got my sugar and got it in the liquid form, you know. Um, I lost weight the only way I knew how, and that was to not eat, and then not eat for like a week at a time until I would pass out, and I would I started exercising, compulsively exercising, and I would run until I literally would wake up along the side of the road. That was how I, I ran, you know, and, and when I hear people talk about it being willpower, I said, I can, I can run until I can make myself pass out, so I know it's not, this is not a matter of willpower. Um... I went zero to 60 with the alcohol, though, and so I lost weight. I got down to a, a normal weight for about 10 seconds, and um, and the, the trouble is is that if you've been heavy your whole life, you have this whole idea of, if I goal weight, goal weight has, like, gold around it and angels singing, goal weight, you know, <laughs> and that when I get to goal weight, oh, all this stuff's going to happen, and, you know, it doesn't, you know. It, it, it's happened, it happened to me there, and then later I'll tell you a little more. But then I, I, my alcohol sped off my compulsive eating, and I ended up gaining all of back, and then some, and I ended up in a rehab in December of 1980. Um, I drank from the day John, John Lennon shot, I think it got shot until, uh, until Christmas week when I went into rehab. Uh, but I was too smart. I didn't want anything to do with this God thing, okay? And the reason i got to talk about AA is just my first introduction into the 12 steps. I didn't want anything to do with AA because it's this whole God thing, you know? And, and, and my, my first uh, sponsor said, look, it's a spiritual program, it's not religious. And I went, oh, bullshit! You know, and it, we used to have the, um, the, the, the uh, things with the 12 steps and 12 traditions, and I just started pointing. I said, see, right, God, 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 God. It says God about 12. See, it's a really... And he said, 
He said the most astoundingly brilliant thing, and if you're a newcomer and this, the mention of God is, is freaking you out a little, listen to what he told me. He told me, leave it out. And, you know, you give a, you know, this genius IQ here, something that simple, it's like that, that science fiction movie where they, they put the robot in a loop and he just sort of sits there and looks. <laughs> I, huh? He, he said, right now your disease is looking for any reason to get you out that door. And God is the perfect thing, so leave it out. Don't let your disease give you a reason to run out that door. And it was the most brilliant thing the guy could have ever said. If he'd have said, oh, don't worry about it, you'll get it later, my little cynical head would have went, ah, uh, you know what, the cult's going to try and get me here. You know, by, by saying leave it out, he took the pressure off totally. I didn't have to, and he said, you'll never be told what to believe, you'll never be told you have to do this, just keep coming, keep an open mind, maybe you'll find something you can do with it. And it was such a great, wonderful relief to hear that. Um, the other thing he said to me after a couple of months when we were talking about the concept of God is, here's the only thing you want to understand about God, kid. You ain't it. <laughs> and that was such a great thing to hear. And I know, you know, I didn't psychotically think I was God, but you know, I took so many... So much responsibility for things I didn't have to take a responsibility for. You know, there's a higher power out there that's taking care of everything just fine. He really doesn't need John's help. And um, I have a higher power. My sponsees have a higher power. My friends have higher powers. My, my mother has a higher power. And it's not me. And what a relief. And what a, what a, to, to, and to just take care of myself. And he started getting all of the basic things that this book talks about. And um, this is my original big book I've had since 1980. It has Don't Panic on the front, which, for those of you who don't know, that's the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And this is my Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, uh, the thing he really got home to me is the concept of the serenity prayer. If you take everything in this book, and most of you, some of you guys, I'm sure, have cooked in your time. You know what they call reducing. You take something, you keep boiling it down until it gets down to a sauce. Well, if you boil this whole thing down, it gets down to the serenity prayer. You know, accepting the things you can't change, the courage to change the things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And my old sponsor used to, my second sponsor I had later said, see this right here, kid, the skin? There's your, that's the wisdom to know the difference right there. Skin in, stuff you can change. Skin out, stuff you can't change. And it was a great thing to think about, that I can only really take care of myself. I can only really have, I, I am powerless over people, places, and things. I spend so much time trying to influence people all the time, and influence events, and influence a lot of stuff, and, and it was a lot of waste of time, because I have minimal impact on anybody in any given day, and it's taken a long time and a couple other programs to get that. Um, the... You know, and it is, it's an amazing thing to just sort of get. I just really need to work on myself. And I'll tell you that that's one of my default, default things now. Now, you give up everything else. I want to get out of myself constantly. And one of the ways I get out of myself is by getting into everybody else's business about everything. And I have a sponsor who is my, in, in this program is constantly saying, John, worry about yourself. Don't try and change the world. Just worry about yourself. And it's, it really is the essence. Um, you know, the whole higher power thing. I, you know, I came from a very dogmatic religion, and the higher power I had when I think about what I was given was essentially not much unlike Santa Claus, you know. You, I'm going to give you a list, God, and if you give me everything on this list, then I'm going to believe in you, you know. And, 
And another thing I heard from a sponsor early on was, he says, take a look in those steps. It only talks about the prayer in terms of praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry it out. You know, it doesn't say go make a laundry list. It doesn't say pray for this, pray for that. And that is the choice. No, I don't tell anybody how to do this, but for me, that's the way I do it now. I just, when something happens, I don't sit there and try and figure it out anymore. I, I've been taking, I've been in this... Um, what is essentially called the Joe and Charlie Big Book Workshop for about, I don't know, about nine months now. I forget how long it's been going. And one of the wonderful revelations recently we were going over the 11th step was, if I'm praying for something, I really am saying I know what's best for that person. Or I know what's best in general, you know. And the longer I'm around, the more I get what my old sponsor used to say, because I came to him with this whole list of how can there be a God when there's a holocaust, when there's a crack babies, when there's this, that. And he said, John, if you could understand that, you'd be God. You know? And if you can just take, accept that you, this is not stuff you're privy to, and you don't know. And I don't know, understand all that stuff. All I know is I just worry about myself now. Uh, and the key for me has been this program as outlined in this book. It's so funny. I came in, I, I, what happened after I got sober is I slipped once and then I got sober again and I went to my, got my sponsor and I said, I've got to go do something about my food problem because by then I'd heard about OA and everything. And you know, in AA they're like, oh no, no, here, have another donut, you know. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you don't understand. These two things are intertwined. And what he said to me is, look, I told you what meetings I want you to make a week. If you want to go do another program over and above, as long as you make my meetings, I don't care. And I said, okay, that's a deal. And so I got into OA. I fell in love with OA immediately because all of a sudden everything made sense. I'm an addict with the food. Okay, that's why I can't do these things. And so much of it made sense. And it, it was a sort of a simpler time. We, we had the original Dignity of Choice, which had six food plans. I picked a food plan. It was a diet. I, I was struck abstinent. The, I, I joked. I said the abstinence fairy hit me, and I was struck abstinent. And it was so easy. And, 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 it, and, and I was good for, for a year or two. Uh, I, at that time, I had just started another career. I had been working as magazine editor, and I became, started doing the stand-up comedy at night. And all of a sudden... After having gone to all these OA meetings, I, I didn't have any time for meetings. And it's amazing how this disease works. Very patient. It just sits there, sits there and goes, okay, I'll wait for him. <laughs> he, you know. So I stopped going to meetings. I stopped working the steps. I stopped doing anything. I lost contact with my sponsor. And uh, a good year went by of rock steady abstinence. And then finally one night I'm, I'm working a club called Dangerfields in New York. And it's the end of the night. And a guy says, come on, a bunch of us are going down to Chinatown. We're going to go to Woolhop and have a great time. And, and I went, yeah, sure. And within a couple of weeks... I was back to doing the kind of stuff I had done. You know, I, I joked, I called my car Meals on Wheels. Um, you know, when I, uh, when I was drinking, if I made a hard right turn, you could hear bottles clinking under the seat. But then later, uh, when I was dealing with the food, you could hear cellophane crinkling, you know. Anyway, I was off on a massive relapse, and I gained a lot of weight back, and then I couldn't come back as my ego, because I had gotten into, I had gotten this ego thing, because I would lost a lot of weight. I was like, you know, in mid-twenties, I got the metabolism of a hummingbird. I lose the weight like that, and, and, and back east, oh, uh, somebody's lost weight, oh, and I can talk pretty well, so I really got an ego trip about that, and uh, then I couldn't come back for a while, and then when I came back, I couldn't get abstinent. Um, and, and I couldn't understand. I kept trying, I kept trying, I kept trying, and and I couldn't understand. And and what I know now was I kept 
it, what finally came to me after I don't know how long was, I, I said, I don't understand. I'm doing the exact same stuff I did the first time, and it's not working. And a little voice, and I know when I these little voices that say things that I'm not expecting said, maybe you didn't do it right the first time. And it was absolutely right. And, and I, I look back now, and I've seen this after 24 years, I did a quintessential OA thing. Every, I think everybody gets that one grace abstinence, or a lot of people get that one grace abstinence. And you can screw it up six ways from Sunday, but it will still work pretty well. And you know why? Because it's the same as every one of those diets I did the first time. OA the first time is no different than any of the other diets I did the first time because I come in and go, okay, just tell me what to do. Well, that's what I did the first time. But then, now I'm starting to think and I know better and you know I know this and I know that and that's when I, you know, my own best thinking got me 105 pounds more than I am. And if it were a matter of intelligence... You know, uh, I would have been able to get it. But, you know, it says right in the book, knowledge of our disease alone doesn't cure us. And that's the other reason this, this program is so much harder, I believe. You know, I've said, uh, I've seen a lot of people slip in AA. They go out, they drink. They, yeah, it's not a perfect program, but damn it, when somebody slips in AA, they know they've slipped. This disease is so cunning, so baffling, and so powerful because we have to eat. You start, well, I'm going to change my food. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. You know, and, and I remember, I, uh, you know, I've done this comedy show, uh, I don't know how many times, and one of the things that gets a big laugh, but it was something I actually said to myself as I was going through one of those, I'm redefining my abstinence moments, and, and the line came out, no, you've broken your abstinence. You're redefining your honesty, you know? It was more important for me to say I was abstinent than to really be abstinent. And that's what happened. I, I finally got abstinent again back east, and then I, I got married, and we moved out here, and then I really started slipping and sliding out here, and I couldn't get it together, and, and I was really, I was, it was horrendous. It was the worst part of my life when it comes to the food, because... I'm going to the meetings. I mean, I can see the insanity of this disease. I'm going to meetings. I have a sponsor. I'm doing service left and right. And I'm, I'm leaving, the, as secretary of the meeting, I'm leaving the meeting and going to the donut shop on the way home. You know, and I'm, and I'm driving away going, I don't, I'm not sentenced to OA, you know. I don't have to fill out a court card at OA. If I don't want to go to OA, nobody's making me go. Why am I doing all this stuff and still eating? And that's where the insanity is. And, and what makes it so hard is that it, it is so interwoven within every synapse of my brain and neuron of my brain. It, you know, I need help on this. And, and I say, and I've, you know, my sponsees have actually picked it up. I said, I have three things I need as part of my, my, my to fight my disease. Because my disease's main weapon against me is bullshit. And it's self-bullshit, not bullshit to anybody else. It's a, you know, this whole idea of honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. I'm honest as the day is long. I used to be a locksmith. I can pick a lock and get in any house anytime I want. I would never do that. I would never pick up somebody else's wallet. I would never do that. But I am so totally dishonest with myself, and I can't see it because that's the disease. And it took me so long to get that's the disease. And... Um, I was slipping and sliding and I couldn't get it together and I finally had to go to another program which was mentioned tonight for a while because my, my what had happened is, is they got rid of the food plans and I started doing all the loosey-goosey stuff and I, and I knew I had to go get my food together. You know, I know that and it's in this book 
you've got to put the stuff down before you can really start making the recovery. But if you can put the food down long enough to make the recovery, it gets a lot easier with the food. Um, I went there. I started weighing and measuring. It was something I needed to do because I couldn't... The food became this huge part of my life. And I know some people find that kind of structure crazy, but for what it did for me is it made food way small again. It made it... I I got up. I ate the food. I stopped. And, and I also went back into therapy because I knew I was eating over something and I couldn't get a hold of it. And when I got into therapy and I put the food down and the shit really hit the fan, I was in a marriage I didn't want to be in. And I'm a people pleaser. And I would rather shove sharp sticks in my eyes than to tell somebody who really cares about me, I don't love you and I don't want to be in this relationship. So I, And I couldn't see that. I made it a cycle. It's like a sine wave. I would think about going out and eating. Then I would go out and eat. And then I would be thinking about, i got to get back, i got to get back. Okay, now I'm back. Now I've got to lose all the weight that I gained in time I'm back. And then just about the time I've lost it all and I'm back at maintenance and it's quiet again, I start the whole cycle all over again. Because what it is is my food is this huge thing I wheel in between me and my real problem, which I don't feel I have control over, because in the back of my head, well, when I'm ready, I'm going to do this, you know. It's so hard because understanding the first step with food is tough. It's taken me years to get the concept. We sit here and say we're powerless over the food, but most of us have had at least one slip, and we've made it back. Doesn't that say we are powerful? It does to our subconscious. But the thing that I couldn't see was, every time I did that and I came back, what went in my head is, see, I am powerful over it. And that's the illusion, because what I need to do is, you guys remember the scene in Gone with the Wind where Scarlett O'Hara is working with the soldier, and all of a sudden they just keep pulling back and back and back and back and back, and you, you know, it just goes back and back. All of a sudden, and this is a God shot for me, I could see 15, 18 years of, Getting abstinent, losing it. Getting abstinent, losing it. Getting abstinent, losing it. And I went, my God, that's it. I am powerless over the big picture. As soon as I make food an option, as soon as I make food a pressure valve again, it'll always be there, you know. When I first came in, they used to have this phrase they used over and over. We don't eat no matter what. We don't eat no matter what. And I think actually it was actually obligatory to slam your hand when you said it. Um... And it was a very harsh phrase, but I, I heard a, a much better way to say it recently. A, a person said, her sponsor said, if you're a compulsive eater and you've made food an option, it'll always be the only option. It'll always be the path of least resistance because that's what you do. Because the other option is probably going to be emotional pain, and who wants emotional pain? It's much easier to go eat. And that's where all of a sudden the light bulb went off with that, and I could see it. And... and And it it got better from there. Now, I did not end up staying in that program because the other stuff that came up with with a couple other programs I was in. um, And I'm trying to find something today. It's not as easy in some respects. In some respects, it's easier to do that sort of weighing and measuring into it. But it has other things that aren't good, too. Um, And I'm not talking down uh, just for me. But... It's, it's, it's so tough today because your disease, your, I always call this disease, it's sort of like the Andromeda strain. I don't know if you remember the book or the movie, but it's a disease that's constantly mutating based on, on you know, so you think you figured it out and then it mutates again and it's going to keep mutating and it has a thousand different lines and it always ends with the same, and that's why you need more food, that's why you need to eat this, that's why you whatever. And... And, and I know today, you know, my disease is, my disease is always going to be as subtle as it needs to be to make the sale. 
You know, my disease is never going to whisper to me now, hey, go to 7-Eleven and buy Haagen-Dazs, because I'm going to go, no. <laughs> but it'll go, you know, you're making an awful lot of meetings. You could cut back a little, you know. Or it'll find something that will take me one step down that road, and then it'll whisper the next one, it'll whisper. The one I love is, you know, you just need the weekend off. <laughs> you know, you just need to chill. Well, you know, again, I've done that over the years, and... One of the two things happens at the end of a weekend. Monday comes, and all of a sudden, oh, I got something in my mouth I shouldn't have. Okay, now we'll do Tuesday. We'll get, oh, now it's Wednesday. Well, who the hell starts on a Wednesday? We'll start next Monday. Oh, wait a minute, you know, something happens next Monday. Well, now, you know, we're halfway through the month. You know, okay, we'll wait till the first of the month. Well, wait a minute, we got Valentine's Day. And, uh, so next thing you know, three months later, that weekend has turned into three months. And that's actually the better of the two, because the worst of the two is sort of what I was talking about before, is that on Friday I tell myself I need the weekend off, and on Monday I'll get it back together, and on Monday I do get it back together. Because what goes in the back of the head is, see, you can do that. And that just sets up next Friday, or two Fridays from now, or three Fridays from now. And it's what makes this disease so cunning, baffling, and powerful. Um... And for me, I still have a couple of things, denial busters. You know, uh, my denial busters are a sponsor in two scales. You know, I need a sponsor who will tell me I'm nuts when I need to hear it. Uh, a, a food scale, which I don't use as much as I used to, but I want it, I need to know what a normal portion is, you know. Because I can look at a Morton steak and say, yeah, that's four ounces, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> And a weight scale, because I have an incredible ability to delude myself. Uh, I can manage to always look here, because I don't gain a lot of weight here, and I can, gain, I can wear loose clothes. And I need to, you know, I need a scale, because, you know, I can tell myself I'm doing great, I'm doing great, I'm doing great, and I get on the scale, and it's going up and up and up. And I either have to say, okay, well, gravity's no longer a constant, <laughs> which I suppose it's possible, or I'm screwing around with the food. And... To me, that's where this program is so important. And to get to the most important guts, of course, is this, you know, is the book and the steps because it's the real key. In here on More About Alcoholism is the absolute crossroads of everything that I need to remember about my disease. Um, you know, it is the great, you know, uh, the idea that someday, some, somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his eating is the great obsession of every abnormal eater. At some point in the back of my head, that voice will always be there going, one of these days, you're going to be able to, you know, have this or have that. You know, and, and I know that's not the key. But I want more than that. You know, this whole hoopla has been going on over this guy who wrote this book. And uh, I actually have a book coming about my compulsive eating called A Million Reese's Pieces, but that's another story. Um, a little preview of the comedy show. But... The thing that frustrated me about this whole hoopla with this guy, because he doesn't believe in AA and he doesn't believe in the 12 steps, is they're focusing so narrowly on putting down the substance only. And I'm thinking, you're missing so much more. You know, in other words, if, if this was just about that, you know, there's a thousand diets out there, but it's about changing this. You know, there's an engine in, in here that is constantly chugging away, trying, it, that drives my eating behavior. And, if all I do is put the food down, all I've ever done is throw the whole sucker in neutral. And you know, it ain't hard to accidentally reach over and hit that switch, you know, the clutch, and boom, the car's in gear again. What the steps do is say, okay, the car's in neutral. Now we're going to work on turning the car off, opening the hood, and dismantling the engine, you know. And, and thanks to the, all this program, I really have 
done that in a lot of ways. I used to, I, I joke, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic, and male recovering alcoholics have two emotions, angry and about to get angry. Um, I walked around for a good 20 plus years, I always said five degrees off of boiling, you know. And that doesn't mean I'm boiling at any given time, but it doesn't take much to get up five degrees, and then I am boiling. I have gotten so much recovery and relief in, in, year, in the recent years because I worked through these steps again and again. And I read this book, and I call it the most amazing book because they keep changing the damn words in here. This, every time I pick this up, and I've read, I don't know how many times I've read it, at least the first 164 pages, I go, where the hell was that? You know? And we're doing it now. We're on this thing. And I've, I've read this so many times, but it's a concept because you're reading it from a different place over and over and over. And... And I need to, you know. Uh, one of our founding fathers in our country used to say the price of, of liberty is eternal vigilance, and I think the price of abstinence is eternal vigilance and working this and continuing to work. If this were just a matter of putting down the food and being miserable, I'm sorry, I'm going to go eat. <laughs> you know? There is, I can understand, but the idea that, and anybody who's struggling right now, it is so important to put the food down, but then to get to work on this, because if you do, it won't be hard forever. When I first came to AA, I remember saying to a guy, I have no choice, I've got to stop drinking. I'm throwing up blood, I can't feel my right arm on, it on any given day. Uh, I've got to stop, I can't. But I'm going to be miserable until I get the guts to blow my brains out. Because I couldn't conceive of a life where, the, th- the thing that got me through life was this, substance that if you took it away it was going to be a miserable existence and I had the same thing with the food and what I needed to have is the hope that this isn't going to be this way there's people out there for whom food I got a friend I was working with him one day and he turns to me at about 2 in the afternoon and he says you know I haven't eaten today and I just want to go bam (laughs) you know because he's that kind of person he doesn't think about it yet you can get I mean I've had those points of grace in my life but, you know, it's an interesting thing. Jack and I always kid about this. There's a, there's a great pamphlet, AA pamphlet, called Members I View to Alcoholics Anonymous. And it's one of the greatest pamphlets because it's written in a conversational way that I can read. And I just want to read you something it says. It says, AA treats the symptom first. You know, Alcoholics has, has consistently emphasized that this disease is a symptom of deeper problems. However, AA also believes that the cleverest diagnosis of these troubles is of little benefit if the patient dies. Autopsies do not benefit the person on whom they're performed. <laughs> sometimes sooner, sometimes later, AA seems to be able to get over to the neophytes that total abstinence is the name of the game. In AA, the cart does come before the horse. The first step is still the first step. No newcomers ever left with any doubt that he can only get, begin recovery by staying away from the first drink. And, and I really, truly do believe that, that, that it is sort of a chicken and the egg thing, but that this is where you have to start with it, you know. And, and I think about now, you know, all these years I've been in, I, I would say, I, I, up until, like, what happened was up to 15 years ago, I got, I'm, uh, about nine years ago, I got my absence back after those first 15 years. And I'm coming up on nine years, and um, I was just, like I said, it was insane, you know. I kept playing games with the abstinence, and I kept—I would swear to you, I'd, I'd pass the lie detector test that I'm, I'm, I'm powerless over food. But what would I do? I would go out and eat. Now, what was I doing? Was I saying, screw away, I'm not coming back? No, I was saying, I'm going to go do this. And what was I, let me finish the sentence. When I'm done, I will come back, and I will get abstinent again. Well, if I'm telling myself I can go do that and get abstinent, 
I'm telling myself I'm powerful, and I couldn't get that for the longest time. And then I played the games of the amazing, like I said, the amazing moving abstinence. And 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 I, it, it's it's a horrible thing you can get into with that. Um, I always said that you know playing games with your abstinence and changing your abstinence to suit what's going on. I said you got to realize this is like. This is like a lifeboat. We're all in this lifeboat, okay? And there's stormy seas out there. And, and at any given time, you may go through some really stormy times where you get pitched out of the lifeboat. But what you do is you climb back in the lifeboat. You look around and say, well, geez, why did I get pitched out? See if you can figure it out. And, and you know what? You'll probably get pitched out again. And you climb back in and say, well, and eventually if you do this a couple of times and you're smart, you will figure it out and get it. But if you're changing your absence all the time, all you're doing is drilling holes in the bottom of the lifeboat. So that you can say, so the lifeboat sinks and you can say, see, I'm no longer out of the lifeboat. You know, I'm no longer not abstinent. But what, you know, if you have an absence that's, that's that, you know, crazy, it's not going to help. The other thing, I'll, I'll, and I'll just end, one of the greatest lines I ever heard uh, somebody say about, about absence and about program is, said, as a compulsive eater, there's one real choice to make in life. You can either do what you want or you can get what you want. But you can't do both. And there's a billion dollar industry out there trying to convince the world you can both do what you want and get what you want. And, you know, I have yet to see it. And, and the answer is to put the food down, clean house, and help another eater. That's the key, and it's all in this book. You know, I used to laugh at people who who were big book thumpers, and you know what? When I went away to that other program, and, I mean, we used to there was a bunch of us who would kid about those guys, and I went to that other program. I came back eight years later. They're all gone. They were gone. I went away. I came back. They're all gone. You know who's still around? The people thumping the big book. So they must know something. So thank you very much.